Thursday, January 12th, year of our Lord, 2023. I'm Pastor Wolfmuller, and this is What Not the Podcast, uh, recording in Milwaukee. Uh, what do you, you can bet on it. What are the chances that I am stuck in Chicago trying to get home today? I think I've got pretty good odds. I think 85 to 95% odds. We'll see how it goes. Uh, a question today about how do we know the New Testament is infallible? And then a brief reflection from Dr. Veith. We met with him yesterday uh, on the limits of scientific knowledge. This really was helpful uh, for me. Well, thanks for being part of the What Not the Podcast, uh, riding along with me. Don't forget to subscribe to What Not the email list. That's at wolfmuller.co. Every page has it there. And also, if you're a guest or first time here, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Uh, here's the questions. Another question about the inspiration or infallibility of the scripture. Interesting that this topic's coming up. Uh, Ryan writes, Hi, Pastor Wolfmuller. I'm wondering how we can be sure that the New Testament in particular is infallible, inerrant, etc. In other words, how do we know with certainty that it's God's word? To me, everything hinges on this belief as the New Testament is the source of much of our doctrine. Most cite 2 Timothy 3.16 in support of the infallibility of all scripture. But isn't Paul referring to the Old Testament, since the New Testament hadn't been written at the time of his writings? I've never gotten a satisfying answer to this question, so I'm hoping you can help. Thanks for this and for all you do. Well, Ryan, you are very welcome. Delighted to think with you about this problem. Oh, and so this is a... So Ryan sets it up. We know that 2 Timothy 3.16, beautiful verse, and probably written toward the end of the New Testament, certainly toward the end of Paul's life. It's the last letter of Paul, so... It's kind of the summary where he says all scripture is inspired by God and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, rebuking, correcting, and training up in righteousness so that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. We had that verse yesterday or a couple of days ago in the podcast, but he's right. When, when Paul says all scripture, how do we know? We know he's talking about the Old Testament, but how do we know that he's talking about the New Testament? And are there verses that talk about this? Now, I've written down five things. They're not necessarily five verses, but five ways of thinking about this that are really helpful. But I want to think along with you. And so if if you can, I'd love it if you can pause the podcast and think about this question a little bit and then come back and see if you've got the same answers that I got or if you have different ones. And if you have different ones, I'd love to hear them. Okay, So you can pause it, think about it. Uh, jot it down, talk about it with uh, your family and so forth. What do they think about it? And then and then come back. Okay, here we go. The first way of thinking about it is that there's parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And I'm really going to lean on the Gospel of John for uh, for a lot of this. And I think that's, as I was thinking about John and this question and how how so much of my thinking was around John, seems wise because I think John is the last of the uh, books written in the New Testament. And really it's the Gospel of John, maybe the Revelation, but probably the Gospel of John that marks the, the close of the New Testament. And John himself, we say from tradition, uh, assembled the New Testament. So it makes sense that John would give us a lot of these hints. But so this parallel between the Old Testament and the New Testament, and not just that they say the same thing, but that they present themselves in the same way. So for example, listen to this. Listen to how John starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, 
and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Now, we hear that and we immediately think of the very first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And that is, of course, very intentional, that John begins his gospel the same way that the Old Testament and the first book of Moses begins. Now, that's kind of neat, and we say, well, so what? But could you imagine if John was not writing Scripture? Imagine if John was not writing something that wanted to be received as inspired by the Holy Spirit. Imagine the arrogance of that. I'm going to start my book the same way that God starts his book. So these parallels in the way that uh, the New Testament writers will write compared to the Old Testament writers writing gives us an indication that what they're presenting to us, what they're arguing, is that this is inspired scripture. Number two, there's a parallel between the sending of the apostles and the sending of the Holy Spirit. So this is especially in John 14, 15, 16, and 17, where, where Jesus says, As the Father sent me, I also send you. And he says, I will send you the Holy Spirit. So the, the apostles are sent. That's what apostle means, sent. And the Holy Spirit is sent in parallel. So that we see the, um, we see the Holy Spirit working in the ministry of the apostles. And this is maybe the key thing for understanding the inspiration of the New Testament is that the New Testament is the book of the apostles, while the Old Testament is the book of the prophets. So the assurance that the, whole, that the apostles called directly by God had the Holy Spirit is confirmed in the scripture and in another, other, a few other places I'm going to take a look at here too. But this, it's, it's uh, connected in this sending from Jesus. Apostles sent Holy Spirit sent there in parallel. The third, and I'm just tracking here through the Gospel of John, is he says this when it comes to the purpose of his writing. I'm in John 20, verse 30 and 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of writing these things was so that we would have faith. And we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Romans 10, how can they hear unless they're preached to, and how can they preach unless they're sent, so forth and so on, so that, so that all these things are connected, so that the scriptures are the, um, the source, even the New Testament scriptures are the source of our faith. Or maybe let's say it like this, the instrument that the Holy Spirit uses to create our faith. Uh, the fourth thing that I'm thinking about is that there's a parallel in the New Testament between the prophets and the apostles. I'll just reference a couple of verses from Ephesians. First, Ephesians chapter 2, this famous verse where it says that the church is built on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows in a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. That's a beautiful verse. Look at that. Wow. You're no longer strangers, foreigners, fellow, but your fellow citizens, 
Jesus has torn down the middle wall of partition. The point for our conversation, ah, what a verse. Look, Jesus Christ is the cornerstone, and the whole building is fitting together. We're being fit, pieced together so that the Lord will dwell with us. But but this is different than the, the temple of our bodies, which 1 Corinthians talks about. This is the temple of the church. So the Holy Spirit dwells with us as we dwell with one another in unity. Wow, 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 wow. But for our conversation here, uh, notice how it just says apostles and prophets. So how do you think of the apostles? Well, you should think of them in the same way that you think of the prophets. So as we think of the prophets, so we think of the apostles. As we think of the prophetic work, so we think of the apostolic work. And as we think of the prophetic writing, so we think of the apostolic writing. This comes up in a couple of verses. Ephesians chapter 4, which quotes Psalm 68 he ascended on high, led captivity captive, gave gifts to men. When you go back in, ah, oh, this is so great. When you go back in Psalm 68, it says that he received gifts from men. Paul says he gave gifts to men. Well, which is it? The answer is, well, yeah, it's both. But here, Paul wants to emphasize the fact that Jesus ascended not simply to receive, but most especially to give, and then now this he ascended, but what does it mean but that he also first descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of faith and so forth. Beautiful. So there we, we again we see this apostles and prophets and evangelists put together. And then pastors, teachers, there at the end. It's it's quite amazing. Hmm. Well, if you're a pastor, it's quite amazing to see yourself on the list with the prophets, evangelists, and apostles. But for our case here, uh, this parallel between the prophets and the apostles is, uh, is very helpful. The last thing, the fifth point, is that the apostles present themselves as authorities in the church, and especially in their writing. So Paul will argue, oh, remember First and Second Corinthians and Galatians and everywhere, Paul will argue that he is a true apostle, and therefore his writing is to be received as authoritative. The same thing with Peter, um, John too, that, so that the, uh, the apostles present themselves to us in their writings as those who have spiritual authority. And so in this way, we understand that, uh, that, that, that they don't understand that of themselves, but rather to be the gift of God. So I think that's five ways that we can know and think about the New Testament being inspired. If you, again, if you, if you pause, you have other reasons, other thoughts and thinking about it, I'd love to hear them. Uh, you can, hmm, wolfmuther.co slash contact. That's probably the best way uh, to leave a comment, and we'll keep the conversation going there. Thanks so much for the question. Scientific knowledge is brute facts. Um, we, I'm in Milwaukee for a meeting of the Doxology Collegium, and we had a really full theological day yesterday. And uh, we spent the morning with Dr. Veith talking about his book, Post-Christian, which I need to read. I think we probably all do. And then 
the afternoon Zooming with Dr. Kleinig from Australia, talking about the state of the church in the world after COVID. But, but this point, for some reason, this was this little piece of clarity that Dr. Veith gave us yesterday was something that I really needed. He's talking about the enlightenment, the, the rise in trust in human reason, the idea that reason can solve all problems, which quickly becomes that science can solve all problems. And that becomes scientism or science alone because it says that the only way of knowing something true is science, sola scientia. But there's a problem, Dr. Veith says, and that is that scientific knowledge is only brute fact. Science can tell you why, um, how fast light travels or sound travels or, or what will happen if you bounce these two molecules together. Well, maybe they don't know exactly, but science can tell you what the different particle length is between blue and green or Science can tell you how long it's going to take to get to this place if you go this fast. In other words, it's just brute facts. But that brute fact knowledge excludes so many things that we would want to know. For example, meaning or value or purpose or ultimate purpose, aesthetic uh, knowledge, identity, any religious or spiritual truth. The, the fact that the the array of truth that science is able to access is so limited means it has nothing to say about these things but the problem is that if we say that the only way to get to truth is science that science has such uh is so limited in its accessing truth that all of these other things have to become subjective not objective if something has meaning or value or whatever this is the Dr. V told us the whole problem of existentialism is that there's no, um, there's no meaning inherent in nature that we have to create it for ourselves. Now, th- th- this is an amazing insight. It's what Dr. Schultz has been trying to teach me from a different angle when he always likes to quote um, uh, Wittgenstein's Tractatus, which ends by saying, here science has to be quiet. Science has to, one of the things that science has to recognize is what it can't recognize. And all of these questions of meaning and purpose and value it can't recognize. But, but if we assume scientism, that is science alone, can give us access to truth, then what are we going to do with all this stuff? So we lose meaning, we lose value, we, are, we become either individualistic or tribalistic. We're in the middle of peak we, peak tribalism nowadays. So what does that mean? Uh, that we find our identity and our in our little tribes or whatever, it's kind of crazy, but we don't think any of it is really objective or true. It's all self-created. It's the um, the self-imaginary that Carl Truman talks about. It's that I've shaped my own personhood and meaning and so forth, which is well, which is bad and unreliable, and probably one of the reasons why we have such a crisis, not only of purpose and meaning, but also of loneliness, mental illness. Even uh, acts of despair. Uh, now, we know better. Uh, we know things that are beyond the capacity of science. We know that we're created by God, that we bear His image. 
that we're fallen and corrupt all the way to the core, that we're redeemed by Jesus, that he's our brother and our savior, and that we'll be raised on the last day, and that our purpose is, uh, I hate to, our purpose is to know God and glorify him forever. Okay, that's reformed, but it's nice. To know God and glorify him forever. Or to maybe say it more simply, our purpose in life is to be what God says we are, which is forgiven and his children, which is great. So let's not be intimidated by this whole scientism, this whole experiment, this reductionistic experiment of the enlightenment. And let's rejoice in the fullness of truth revealed in Christ. That sounds good. Keep those questions coming. I saw some good ones on deck, so Pastor Packer is lining them up there uh, for me. So this has been a lot of fun, and I think this has been a good week podcasting. Uh, hope you've enjoyed it. Maybe another one tomorrow. We'll see how that goes, see uh, see how the travel goes. Um, next week, I'll be in Washington, D.C. for the March for Life, January 21st. Uh, look me up if you're there. That'll be great. And then the week after that, hosting the Texas March for Life, January 28th. Uh, so join us down there also. Uh, really fantastic. Otherwise, uh, What Not the Podcast is what you're listening to. What Not the Email Newsletter is what I was supposed to talk about. That's where every Wednesday I try to send out some things I found curious, uh, maybe some unformed thoughts, uh, outline, theological outlines, videos, um, music, apps, etc., I've been goofing around with chat GPD all week, trying to figure out what that means. Man, oh man, is that something wild. Uh, the AI chatbot, so who knows what uh, what's coming around. So probably put some stuff in there uh, in the Wednesday whatnot. That's always free. If you subscribe, it helps support the cause. So that's one way to do it. Or if you go to wolfmuller.co slash support, uh, that also helps us do all this stuff. Looking to add some... Uh, editing help for some of the YouTube stuff. See if we can up our game over on the YouTubes a little bit more as well. So uh, all your support is great help. So thanks for that. Otherwise, uh, keep thinking theologically. Keep rejoicing in the Lord's word. And don't forget that Christ is risen. We'll talk to you soon.